Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Welcome back and happy Monday again here this week on the Laser Therapy Institute podcast. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree and I'm presenting some more research for you today. Actually, it's a perspective study about sacroiliac joint pain and this was published in 2019 in the American Physical Therapy Association Journal and it's very interesting because it gives us some insight into how to categorize and test for and treat SI joint problems and SI joint pain specifically. Before I get any further, remember LTI is your expert in delivering training on how to use laser therapy in clinical practice. If you want to know more about how to use class four high intensity laser therapy in your practice to help your patients for multiple different kinds of conditions, how to make your clinic successful with that both financially and with your patient results, we have all the tools to help you. You can go to lasertherapyinstitute.org to get more information. You can also email us info at lasertherapyinstitute.org to learn more about what we can do for you and your clinic. And even if you just want to hear some more about what we're doing, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and you can sign up for a weekly laser therapy newsletter. Again, go to the website lasertherapyinstitute.org and you can go to the provider resources page and find a link to sign up for our weekly laser therapy newsletter. That's delivered by email every week and has usually some clinical pearls, some information about research-based treatment, as well as what's going on at LTI and how we are helping our member clinics. But let's go ahead and push ahead into talking about SI joint pain. This is a really common condition a lot of us will see. And matter of fact, pulling a quote right from the article, they say low back pain is the leading cause of disability worldwide. A significant portion of these presentations, uh, somewhere between 16 and 35 percent, are thought to involve the sacroiliac joint complex. Now, if you've been involved in musculoskeletal care for very long, whether you're a physical therapist or a chiropractor or an orthopedist, then you've probably seen multiple cases of SI joint pain. Now, over the years that I've practiced, I've come to know SI joint pain to be kind of a unique condition. And we're gonna go into why that is in this paper. This is a pretty exciting paper that kind of combines some research and perspective on non-invasive conservative care for SI joint patients. And the first thing we wanna do is talk about the causes of sacroiliac joint pain. There's essentially three categories that they name in this paper. They are pregnancy-related SI joint pain, specific pathology of the SI joint, like uh, arthritis or fracture, sprain. And also the last one, SI joint related pain of other origin. And that's that's really the one that uh, I think the majority of non-invasive practitioners see uh, is that other origin. And a matter of fact, this paper says we're going to focus on that third category, the SI joint pain of other origin. And they say, you know, right off the bat here, it's important to draw a distinction between SI joint related pain and what is considered to be SI joint movement dysfunction because the use of overlapping terminologies can result in confusion. 
So we're not just talking dysfunction here, we're talking about pain, specifically pain in the SI joint, because dysfunction has a lot of different interpretations in the conservative care world. We might be talking about a lot of different things, and this paper makes the point of saying that it's actually really hard to identify dysfunction of the SI joint for a lot of different reasons, but they do say that SI joint provocation tests, like a Gainsland test or sacral thrust, uh, do not provide the clinician with insight as to why those structures are sensitive and are therefore incapable of confirming too little or too much movement, and that the coexistence of signs and symptoms and some hypothesized movement dysfunction does not actually mean that any of it is causally related. The SI joint is actually fairly complex. It doesn't just come down to function and mobility or movement dysfunction generating pain signals. There's a lot more going on here. So let's bring some more of this out through this paper. They say that the SI joint is an inherently stable structure with very small movement available up to six degrees of freedom of movement with normal motion activities. But there is a complex network of intra and extra articular ligaments along with the fact that you have to deal with the mechanics, the biomechanics of the lumbar spine and the hip joints. And that there is so little movement that can be documented in the SI joint that tests for movement dysfunction are not reliable. That's a direct quote from this, from this paper. Now, I have a pretty good idea, I think, of gauging SI joint dysfunction when I'm examining a patient. And I imagine you do too if you've done much work with low back pain patients. However, inter-examiner reliability on these tests really are not very good. And the authors of this paper go and make the point that really this is not a reliable way to evaluate the SI joint through movement uh, testing. So when you're testing and you've eliminated SI joint pathology as the problem, which would be again fracture or sprain or arthrosis, then you cannot just check the mobility of the SI joint. You actually need to look in multiple regions for dysfunction and pain and tissue damage. Not only in the SI joints again, but in the lumbar spine and the hip joints. Matter of fact, you need to go on down into the piriformis structure and the obturators because they have a lot to do with dysfunction applying strain to the SI. Then you have to keep traveling down. You need to be checking the IT bands and the opposite knee ankle foot complex because if you have left SI pain and a right ankle problem, it is actually very common for that resulting compensation to apply more pressure to the left SI joint. And so you get this, this cross body feedback. If you've been in practice for any amount of time, you've probably seen this. You probably already know what I'm talking about, where you have a problem on one side, which causes the body to compensate by putting more weight on the opposite side. And because of the structure of the SI joints, you end up putting more pressure, more strain onto the SI joint. So the problem doesn't even end up being the SI joint itself. The problem is something else causing more pressure to go into the SI joint. And the SI may be painful because it's compensating for these other problems, but just working with the SI joint, you won't find really the root of what's causing this problem. Back to the paper for another quote. They say, SI joint-related pain is multidimensional 
and directly attributing SI joint related pain to movement dysfunctions is flawed reasoning. Positive pain provocation tests are likely indicative of increased sensitivity of the tissues. However, to look at the SI joint as a movement problem is a reductionist linear interpretation of the pain experience because pain in general is not a simple tissue-based stimulus response. The emergent pain experience can be described as a response to a sense of threat to the body. And so therefore it's reasonable to suggest that nociceptive input, pain perception from SI joint area tissues can contribute to that threat perception. And so the SI joint itself and movement dysfunction there cannot be looked at as a simple straightforward problem. Now the next thing the authors do is they go and they point to a study that did radiofrequency denervation of the SI joint in addition to exercise rehabilitation. And there was no clinically important difference between patients that just had rehab exercises and patients that had rehab exercises plus RF denervation. They say this data shows that nociceptive activity in and around the SI joint can contribute significantly to SI joint related pain, but this peripheral nociception is not the sole cause of the pain experience. You can't just look at the SI joint. To look narrowly at just the SI joint and any motion problems you may think you're seeing there is a short-sighted approach. It is essential to check other components and not just lean on your evaluation of SI joint motion or lack thereof to diagnose an SI joint pain problem. So yes, your patient may come to you and say, hey, I've got pain, it's right here, it doesn't radiate, it doesn't go anywhere else, I don't have anything else that's bothering me, it's just this pain right here. You look, they're pointing right to their SI joint, you push on that SI joint area or that PSIS and you, there's tenderness, don't stop there. Start looking elsewhere. Again, you need to check lumbar spine, you need to check both hips, the IT bands, piriformis and obturator. You need to check the opposing and really probably both knees as well as the ankle and foot. You need to watch the patient walk. You need to see where else dysfunction might be occurring that is only symptomatically showing up in the SI joint. And remember that multiple factors may be present. You may have a opposite foot problem as well as piriformis and lumbar spine issues that are all contributing to an SI joint problem. And here's the big point of why I'm talking about all this is because if you don't address all those different components, the SI joint pain will recur or it'll only partially resolve. And in some cases, it'll actually migrate elsewhere. And that one is kind of cool because if you, if you can reduce the SI joint pain and then you see it pop up more in the uh, you know, opposite knee, you might actually be onto something. Follow that signaling. But essentially, you should be trying to catch this stuff even before then. Don't let yourself get tunnel visioned on that SI joint. Expand your scope of what you're looking at. Remember, the body moves as a whole, and the SI joints are barely movable, but they do bear a lot of pressure and a lot of weight and a lot of strain from other structures. Look at those other structures. Make sure they're not actively aggravating that SI joint every time the patient takes a step or goes up and down steps or bends over in order to lift something. If you can evaluate those related structures and then treat the patient as a whole, your success rates will be much better. So when we're talking about success rates and treatment for SI joint problems, there's two things you need to be worried about. Number one, this paper says, is communication. They say, patients' beliefs 
particularly their understanding of the cause and nature of their pain, are considered increasingly important features of the pain experience and can influence the pathway to pain persistence or to that acute problem becoming chronic, which is what we don't want to see. They say patients typically make an attempt to make sense of the pain. And this is a lot of times based on what they are told by their healthcare providers. They go on to say that believing that one is unable to hold the body together because of a lack of core stability and an innominate bone that slips out of place is likely to give rise to guarding and avoidance behaviors which can themselves sustain pain. So number one, before you even start into a treatment plan or talk to the patient about the treatment plan, you should be thinking about the way you talk with your patient about what that issue is based on your exam findings and diagnosis how do you work with that patient? How do you talk to that patient about what's going on with their bodies and why they are hurting and why you're doing treatment the way you're doing it? I think we all know that effective communication with patients definitely improves adherence to care plans and helps the patient make sense of why you're wanting them to do things that they're doing at home, like home exercises, or why they need to come in two or three times a week to see you, or why they need to avoid certain motions while they're at work or at home. So the authors of this paper say that you should tell the patients that their spine is a strong structure and the pain they are experiencing is due to increased sensitivity of the SI joint structures. So you're giving the patient the sense that, okay, their structures are all right. You know, of course, assuming that this is appropriate for that patient, if they have a fracture, you're not going to tell them that their, their spine is in good shape. But, you know, telling the patient that structurally they're going to be okay, that we have increased sensitivity of these structures. These authors say that is an important step to making sure the patient knows that they don't need to get into these guarding and pain avoidance behaviors. The authors also say that you want to make sure that you don't contradict the messages you give to the patient. For example, performing a manual intervention like manipulation that is supposed to increase the movement of the SI joint may seem incongruous with prescribing home exercises and telling the patient that they're focused on increasing the stability that does seem to go against each other. Again, it comes back to how you're talking to the patient about your strategy. So instead of talking about increasing mobility and then trying to give them a, a way to increase stability, the authors say that you should explain what you're doing through the known neurophysiological mechanisms. So when you're delivering an adjustment or a, or a manipulation, rather than focusing on talking to the patient about improving the mobility there, you can talk to them about how moving that joint helps with joint fluid exchange to reduce irritation, as well as reducing pain signaling, rather than talking about a structural mobility component. The authors also say that when you're talking to them about exercise and prescribing exercises, rather than talking about pushing for stability, it's better to tell the patient that the pain they have is multidimensional. There's many factors and is more indicative of sensitivity instead of damage or joint dysfunction. Again, if, if that is appropriate for this patient. Therefore, the rationale for patients using exercise could include an explanation of how sensitive tissues do respond well to physical load. Obviously, these authors are just speaking in very technical terms, and you don't want to do that to your patients. You want to give them examples and terminology that they can understand easily. But the point these authors are making is incredibly important. The way you talk about the patient's condition and your treatment plan for that condition is so important 
for the patient's understanding of what is happening to their bodies and why it's critical that they follow your care plan. So at the end of this publication, the authors say, look, there's four things you should do when you are working with your patients. You should be explaining how pain works tailored to that individual's presentation. You should also address unhelpful or aberrant health beliefs. If somebody thinks that their disc is slipping out of place and they can feel on their back when it's poking out, uh, you know, obviously that's not a, an accurate belief and you don't need to belittle the patient's knowledge or their viewpoint, but educating them on an accurate view of what's happening in the spine will be helpful when they form that mental image of what's going on. So that's one and two. Explain how the pain works and then address any unhelpful or aberrant health beliefs concerning their condition. Number three is to promote reassurance regarding the integrity, the structural integrity of the back, the pelvis, and the SI joint itself. And the last one, number four, design and discuss a management plan that is aligned with the things we just talked about there that makes sense to the patient so they understand why you're recommending the treatment you're doing. And you know, these authors specifically address manual therapy or manipulation as well as exercise for SI joint pain patients uh, in, in this paper because that's very, very common, I think, in the conservative care world. But of course, we know that laser therapy is a good piece of the puzzle here too when you're building that patient's care plan. And we know that laser therapy can have beneficial results in inflammation and swelling, in ligament laxity, and in tissue damage as well. So when you're crafting the treatment plan for the patient, being able to add in laser for some of these areas of irritation and damage can help the patient recover faster. And a lot of times if you communicate about it correctly with the patient, then they understand better what your goals are for treatment and what that laser is supposed to be doing. Remember to check the associated structures like the lumbar spine, the hips, IT band, piriformis and obturator, the opposite knee, ankle, and foot. And remember that multiple factors can present here. You can utilize laser as well as these other conservative care options to improve the patient's soft tissue pain, inflammation, swelling, laxity, and tissue damage effects. Laser can be a great tool in there. If you want to know more about this and how to utilize laser for low back pain patients or SI joint patients in particular, please hit me up, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. But I would also love to have your recommendations on what we should do a podcast on. If you have questions about LTI educational programs also, you can hit us up. We can answer those for you right away. Thanks very much again for joining me this week, and I'll look forward to seeing you right back here again next week. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.